Welcome back to another episode of Strictly Business, a podcast in which we talk with the brightest minds working in media today. I'm Andrew Wallenstein with Variety, trying something a little different this week. Instead of digging deep with one particular company, we're going to take a broader view of the media sector with my next guest, Naveen Sarma, Senior Director at S&P Global Ratings. He's been covering the media and telecom businesses for the past 20 years. Thanks for coming in, Naveen. Thank you. Thanks uh, for having me. I knew you'd be great to get perspective on as we take this step back and look at the business from a more macro level. And where I'd like to start is to get a sense of where the industry fits in the context of the broader economy, particularly given pers- persistent concerns that a recession could be looming here in the U.S. Is that part of your – is that on your radar now? It is. We've certainly, as a firm – um, been thinking about a potential recession over the next couple of years. I think our economists recently updated some numbers and suggested that the likelihood of a recession would be 20 to 25 percent over the next 12 months. Um, in the meantime, ahead of a potential recession, we've been doing a lot of testing of a lot of our companies, stress testing them, stress testing our assumptions to see if they might perform in a recession scenario. And Is so- there any good scenario where, I mean, the, talk a bit about sort of the history with media companies. How do they typically fare in recessions past? So um, if you go back and you look at 2001 and 2008 as the most recent ones, um, clearly advertising gets hit uh, pretty hard, right? The, the, um, the national advertisers cut back at a, um, at a greater pace than the decline in GDP. There's a multiplier to it, right, one and a half to two times. Um, and, and so that's been the biggest impact to media companies historically because they were mostly advertising-focused. Certainly that's changed over the past bunch of years, and so this is, this is probably the biggest takeaway from all the testing we've done, is if you go back and even look at 2008, the, a lot of the companies were still advertising-focused. Now you had the rise of retransmission revenue um, and, so, and affiliate fees, and so that's diluted the impact from advertising. The question, though, is... In this environment where we have a lot of cord cutting, what happens to cord cutting in a recession? Do more people drop their video services? Likely. Do they move over to the virtual MVPDs? Maybe. But, you know, at the end of the day, how much of how many of those customers are lost over time? And so the ability for the industry to rebound because it's got this second ancillary revenue stream might be more mooted than what a lot of people think. Because you will have that, you know, that increase um, in in cord cutting. Yeah, I, I wonder if along with that cord cutting, we could also see it's interesting timing for a potential recession when you think about media companies that are now going to a market with a new breed of product. We're talking about Disney Plus. Uh, Warner Media is going to have something in there. Apple will be there. This is sort of like a whole new thing. And when you go back to the recession as a backdrop. Basically, there's going to be a demand for a whole new level of consumer dollars at precisely the time where I don't think too many consumers are going to be flexible with their wallets. What do you think? I, I think you're, you're dead right about that. Um, it's a very risky time for these companies to be doing it. But having said that, is there a better time to do it? I don't think they want to wait. And maybe they should have started a couple of years earlier, but that's water under the bridge. They've already passed that point. So this is the right time for them to start. In, you know, when we look at these companies, we're looking at credit quality. So we're looking at cash flow, we're looking at margins, we're looking at leverage, debt to EBITDA. And a lot of these companies are going to see a significant, well, at least a degradation in their, in their credit quality 
um, not only from the launch of these new services, but if you layer in a recession, that could also exacerbate that problem. And I would imagine the costs of launching these services, something that you're looking at as you assess their financial health. I mean, billions are going to be walking out the door to put the amount of programming that's going to be necessary to even be remotely competitive with the likes of Netflix. Yeah, exactly. And interesting, as a, as a lot of these companies start to pull that programming off of Netflix, and so they're giving up licensing and syndication revenue, they're going to be losing that revenue as well as the investment that they're going to have to make. So we look at it a little bit like the music industry was over the past dozen or so years where they were losing revenue to piracy and it took them a long time to figure out a business model or to get the business model that they were now progressing to, which was you know, where we are today with Spotify, to finally work. And so you're going to have this valley effect where you're going to lose revenues and you're going to have increased costs, which is all going to impact cash flow and leverage. And at some point, you're going to reach an inflection point. Hmm. And how many years away that is, is uh, as anybody's guess. Well, when you talk about the music business, I also think about the consolidation that really shrunk that business. And I've wondered whether really the media business is headed down the same road, Disney Fox being perhaps just a prelude. And yet things are actually kind of quiet besides just some chatter that's always been there around Viacom and CBS. Mm -hmm. What's your outlook in terms of where we are in this consolidation trend? I I think we're – so we've we've gotten through the bigger companies, right? Time Warner is gone, Fox is gone, but we still have a bunch of, of, call it smaller companies, mid-sized companies. I think they eventually have to get consolidated. It's just a matter of time, um, and it's not just a question of taking two companies and putting them together. Right? One of the problems will, that uh, in, in any M&A activity is social issues, is who runs the company, who survives in the transaction, whose culture do you, do you end up absorbing, and you know, which culture survives. Those are big issues. That, that derail a lot of acquisitions. And I think a lot of the companies that are remaining have to work through those issues before we get consolidation of those companies. Well, are there any particular players, though, that are interesting you uh, as you look anywhere from Sony to MGM to Lionsgate, properties that are sort of pinging on your radar? All of those. Um, we, we, are, we, we believe strongly in the idea that owning a studio that produces content and IP is really important to the long-term health of a particular company. So, I think you, the tech companies would disagree with you, though. Why haven't we seen acquisitions you know, from the yeah. Googles and even back to the Microsofts of the world? They've never bought studios, and I feel like isn't this really just a reflection of Silicon Valley looking at libraries as a business and saying, oh, we'll just build that up in time with our own people? Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, Sony's the only one that, right, Sony, Sony went out and, and did that a long time ago. And they're oh, really true. the only ones to do that. I totally agree with you. I think, um, I think there's a differentiation between the guys like Amazon and Apple who call themselves tech companies and Netflix that calls himself a media company. So I think it's much more strategic for Netflix to own content, own a library maybe down the road, mm-hmm. um, versus the tech companies, which I think oh, you view media as something to, to bring customers to their websites or to sell products. So I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't be surprised if none of those companies ever bought a studio. And Netflix, do you feel differently about them? I do. Um, I... I've, thought, I've always thought that Netflix should buy a studio because as, as they're trying to build out their own, own content, this helps accelerate that process. 
they've got their reasons for not doing that. They don't want to buy content that's encumbered. I think longer term it helps them as opposed to spending the, the billions of dollars in content, you know, in, in, in um, on, on original content they do today. Having said that, they've been very successful, so who am I to, to, to question there? Well, where do you stand, though, on the bull-to-bear range on Netflix? There are some who say they don't understand this massive spending and that ultimately debt will catch up to them. It's, it's definitely a risk. Um, we, they are a very interesting credit from uh, a company from the, from the standpoint of the credit markets. People either hate them or they love them. Internally, we have some very – our most heated discussions and debates over the credit quality uh, – is over the credit quality of Netflix. So um, I, I think we kind of fall probably more on the bullish side. We think that there is a path. I mean, look, they've got scale. They've got a lot of content. Um, they're probably not as perfect in producing content as some of their bulls think they are. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff that just doesn't work, but it's there on their website. Um, for us, what we look at is the cash flow burn and eventually – and the margins. So eventually they're going to get to cash flow break even. And it's a question of how quickly do they want to do it. It's really up to them. Right? How much are they going to spend on programming? And when they do that, they are arguably the most interesting – well, certainly most interesting. Are, they're arguably also the most powerful media company around, right, on par with the likes of Disney, which in our eyes could make them an investment-grade company you know, with investment-grade ratings. How they get there, a lot will be driven by their desire to get there and their desire to spend. So for us, an investment-grade company needs to have a certain amount of leverage, not too high. They don't really have that high a leverage. For us, the, the, the credit risk here is the cash flow burn and the fact that they need the capital markets, the debt markets, to be able to go and fund their business model. Eventually, they're going to get a point where they're, they're cash flow generative, that's probably when they get to investment grade. I see. Well, uh, Netflix is estimated, along with Amazon, to spend about $20 billion on content this year. Staggering, considering probably the whole content economy costs maybe 80 to $90 billion in terms of programming spend. So how do you look at the broad competitive field here in terms of – we talked about these services like Apple and Disney that are going to get into Netflix's space – how do you see this all playing out? I think there's room for all of these players. Um, I think – so our estimate, and we're looking at a cash number rather than a gap number, and they spent about $12 billion this uh, last year. We think they're going to spend somewhere between 14 and $15 billion, that's our estimate, on, on programming. That is a lot, especially when you consider it's all original programming and it's not sports. Hmm. Um, which is, you know, if you look at their, their peers, whether it's a Disney or, or an NBC, they're spending similar amounts of money, but a lot of that is going towards sports programming. So these guys are spending far more than anybody else on programming. I mean, what's, what's interesting when we do our channel checks is we keep asking companies, is, is, are there constraints? Is, is Netflix and Amazon and Apple, all these guys basically using up crews and there's not enough scripts? No. No, there seems to be a lot of supply out there. Um, it's just a question of, you know, how do you get viewers to watch your stuff? Yeah. And uh, I mean, Netflix, I think in 2019 has shown a, a an ability to make programming work, you know, getting certain hits launched out there in the strongest possible way at just the time where it feels like broadcast and cable has lost that ability in recent years. I mean, the narrative 
uh, does not bode well for traditional media. I agree. I agree. What's really interesting when you talk to Netflix is how much they know about what their consumers, who their consumers are and what they're consuming. And this is where the media companies historically um, haven't had that data. And so their ability to go and say, I mean, Netflix has is, is famously said this, which is, if you watch this TV show, an Adam Sandler movie, you know, we know you like another movie by Adam Sandler or something similar. They're very good at, at matching up consumers with content. We'll see if the media companies will, will, will get to that position. Now, you know, they're working... They're starting from scratch. They're going to have to build that database. It's going to take them a number of years to be able to replicate that. I think you're actually hitting on a, on a very key point because as we assess all these companies and their ability to go to market with a good streaming product, we talk a lot about content. We talk a lot about pricing. But it's that UX-driven uh, algorithm that I think is going to be probably just as big an issue but we don't hear people talk about. Netflix has developed a product as sophisticated as it is over many years and I think no amount of content spending and no amount of you know the most aggressive, slow price point, I just have trouble believing that companies that are not – that don't have, let's say, D2C in their DNA, mm-hmm. that they're going to be able to launch products that will be on par with the sophistication of Netflix. Agreed. Totally agree. The other challenge here is none of these media companies have historically dealt directly with consumers outside of Disney. Right. And, and I think – what media companies are going to be surprised with is the fickleness of consumers. They don't want to pay a lot for their content. Media companies have never had to deal with that, right? They've told the cable companies, this is what you're going to pay, and the cable companies have paid it. Now suddenly they're going to be putting out a product, and they're going to say, we're charging X dollars for that product. And they may be surprised at how many customers don't want to take it because they don't want to pay for it. Hmm. Um, the other thing I think we've seen historically with some guys who've tried to launch these services is they don't have the back office. They, their, their servers crash. They, they can't deal with customer care. They can't deal with billing. It's a whole different world, and a lot of these companies don't have the capabilities or are trying to build the capabilities today. And yet when I hear that, I also wonder whether we're taking too dim a view of media companies' ability to change, whether that's culturally, whether that's in terms of technical sophistication, bolting on and buying what they don't have, you know, examples like Disney getting BAM tech, that kind of thing. I do wonder whether people are potentially underestimating, especially given how desperate these companies are to survive, their ability to change. That's a very fair point. I, I, yeah, you're right. You're right. They, I mean, I, I, yeah, I agree. Well, but I think the the other side of it is to your own point, though. We've seen some of these companies. I'm thinking of uh, what AT and T did with Tiger Woods around the beginning of the new year. Mm-hmm. This complete streaming fiasco. Yep. And you got to wonder whether either that's a sign like, look, there's a lot more of this coming, especially when these new streaming products come out, or they're learning from their mistakes. They'll have it right when these products come out. What do you think? I, I, I think I would hope that it's the latter. Mm-hmm. I hope they're willing to experiment and take the, the fall and, and then start again. I, I think, I think I'm going to be I'm going to be pessimistic here and say there's probably only a couple of companies that are probably uh, courageous enough to go ahead and try something like that. I think what you I, I think what the reality is is you're going to have a lot of companies saying we don't know how the expertise to do that. We don't think we have the time to try to pivot that way, and I think they'll sell themselves. Uh-huh. I think I famously, uh, you know, I, I think Time Warner went through this. Time Warner talked about 
these this kind of evolution a long time ago. They were way ahead of everybody else. I think they looked at what they had to do to try to get to that next step. They looked at the impact to the income statement, the lost revenues, the cash flow, the investments they had to make, and they said, you know, maybe someone else should try to do this, and they sold themselves. Yeah. Wow. And I think you're going to see a lot of other companies do that as well. I mean, what Disney is doing is very brave. Yes. And, and they're going to stumble and fall. Um, and, and having the vision to say, we'll stumble and fall, but we'll go back and, you know, experiment again. And we're willing to take the hit for three, four, five, whatever number of years. It's very courageous on their part. Well, we talked a lot about subscription businesses. I also want to get your take on sort of the state of advertising today, uh, where the dollars are going. Saw some interesting data recently, for instance, about digital ad spending surpassing TV in the U.S. for the first time. It's a milestone moment, wouldn't you say? Yes and no. I, I think one of the things that gets lost when people look at digital is where's the digital money coming from? Yes, it's coming a bit from television. Yes, it's coming from radio and print. It's, it's taken that away a long time ago. But you have a lot of you, – you have a change in the way that companies market, that Broad, more broadly speaking, right? So you got advertising versus promotional dollars. The promotional dollars are the ones that are moving, or, or the dollars that were used to be uh, spent on promotions are now going from promotions to advertising. You're getting a lot of local mom and pop stores who you never used to advertise, maybe in yellow pages, are now moving their dollars as well to digital. So yes, digital is really important, clearly, but I think those people who say that traditional media, especially television, are going to die because of that, I think are mistaken because I think that both can coexist. Okay. And do you think TV, when you look at you know innovations like what's going on with addressable advertising, could innovate to the way where they'll protect their market share in the long term? It'll certainly help. The way that advertisers allocate dollars – is based off of the you know what they 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 send dollars to digital they send dollars to print they send dollars to television because they think there are each one of those is a good way to reach customers right it's either targeted or it's broad based television has always offered broad based reach that no other media can do to replicate today and it's probably going to take a long time for digital to to to, to supplant television in that regard. So I, we always thought that there is a base for television advertising. Advertisers will continue to advertise on football, on the Oscars, on television, because it's the best way for them to reach 20, 30, 100 million customers. So television will lose some share because it's not going to be growing as quickly as digital, but it isn't going to fall off a cliff and advertising isn't going to disappear from television. And yet sometimes I fear when you look at the numbers that TV ratings – look like they could get to a place where they'll fall off a cliff. How does not ad dollars drag down with that? I mean, yes, there'll always be the Super Bowl and the Oscars, but there's thousands of hours elsewhere on the calendar. And that's and that's the risk. So I think tele- advertising on live events and news and sports will continue to get good CPMs. I look at a lot of those other, a lot of the cable networks, and wonder when CPMs are going to start you know, declining over time. And And frankly, look, at some point, advertisers are going to get frustrated with paying double-digit CPM increases. And, and so I think there's going to be a backlash against that at some point. And so the ability for even the broadcast networks to push up CPMs at double digits will fade over time. Got it. And then on the digital side of the advertising coin, 
still clearly Google and Facebook getting the lion's share of the dollars, Amazon's share starting Amazon, to yeah. join those two. And I'm, I'm curious what you think about the top. But I'm also curious what you think about the rest of the pack. And what seems like in early 2019 was a bit of a bloodbath among digital publishers uh, like BuzzFeed and Vice and just general publishers in general that if you're not Google and Facebook, man, is it hard to do business now. Yeah, well, certainly Amazon is gaining a lot of share. And, and so for any, anyone who's looking for that third digital publisher, it's going to be Amazon. Is there a triopoly? Is that a word? Yeah. Okay. Just yeah. Yep. I'll know I for think, next time. Yeah, I think and, – and I think that's it. The, the thing that we struggle with is – I mean Amazon, uh, Amazon uh, Verizon tried this with Oath. It didn't work. It takes a lot to build scale, especially if you don't have a lot of subscribers. Um, and so I, I, I struggle with the idea that there could be a – fourth player that emerges over time. So I'm not that optimistic about about somebody supplanting Google or Facebook and, and, and Amazon. Yeah, although the growth of even Google and Facebook is going to start to come down over time. And I'm actually surprised, especially when you're looking at the headlines lately uh, regarding YouTube, that these companies seem to be Teflon despite all the brand safety issues out there. Are they so strong that they will just get a pass on anything? Well, they haven't gotten a pass. We've had your hair of instances where advertisers have pulled advertising from from Google or Fa- or, um, or YouTube and haven't pub- and, and haven't used them for years. Some really big publish uh, really big advertisers. So I don't think they're necessarily getting a free pass. Maybe from Wall Street they are. Yeah. But advertisers, I think, are taking a more critical eye of of those platforms, and they're they're, they're demanding accountability. Um, they're demanding. Hopefully, you know. Hopefully, that will change. I mean, once the dollars, once the dollars don't come in from advertisers, or once they start to slow, or once there's pressure, maybe we get changed that way. I see. It feels like Google and Facebook have been taking their lumps, certainly more so Facebook over the past year. Do you think we're coming out the other end of that now, or we're still in the middle of what's going to be a pretty brutal phase for them? I think I wouldn't call it brutal, but I certainly wouldn't say we're coming to the end of the regulatory process. So there was recent news about Germany um, going after specifically Facebook. So I think you're going to get instances of that. Until you get comprehensive regulatory or legislation in the United States, you're going to have these one-offs where California imposes rules and then other states do the same thing. So I think it's in the best interests of Google and Facebook to actually work with regulators to try to come up with a comprehensive uh, comprehensive legislation that puts in place – you know, re- regulatory a regulatory regime that they can live with, that that everyone can live with, mm-hmm. and I think that we'll see if that happens. We'll see if that happens in the in the next in the next Congress. But it's certainly something that when you're talking to people in Washington, everyone seems to agree that they need to have some kind of legislation to impose regulation on those on, on the industry. Well, we've talked about digital platforms. We've talked about some of the traditional media companies. I know you also look at some of the telcos. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what strikes me at this interesting time is it it seems like there's three very clear stories. There's AT&T is all in on content. Verizon is all out on content. And Sprint and T-Mobile are doing something. Fair characterization of what's going on in that sector? Fair characterization, yes. Uh, What else, though, should we need to know about these companies' abilities to compete with the, the biggest companies out there, whether they're from tech or traditional media. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting that AT&T decided to charge all in with media 
and, and to buy a media company. The risk of doing that, I mean, clearly the, one of the big risks here is you have differences in culture. And, you know, does AT&T know how to run a media company with media egos? I think it's going to be a bit of a struggle for them mm-hmm. to, to be able to do that. The other thing is if you're going to go do a new vertical integration, you want to be able to control um, – you want to have a, a bigger slice of the pie. So all they have is Warner, and that's not that big. You know, in, in the grand relatively scheme, speaking. relatively speaking, it's right. big for a media company, but still, it's only a couple of networks and it's only one studio. So their ability to do things with Warner is is limited, and I think they're going to. I don't think they're going to get the kind of um, benefits they thought they were going to get by buying it, just because it's Warner is only one of the six studios. Well, could you argue that then AT and T could be in the market for another acquisition? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They, I think they're going to realize that Warner does not have the scale that they thought it was going to have. And so they, I wouldn't be surprised if they went and they bought more, more content. And are there companies that you think you – No. It, at the moment, I mean it's all gone, right? Unless they, unless right. they buy Disney. Not that I'm suggesting they're going to buy Disney. There's even you – know, unless, it's, unless it's Sony or Paramount. Paramount's not that big a studio anymore. Right. So I, I, I wonder – I mean, we, we, we got this internal discussion going on. You know, how long before they decide they need to sell off Warner because it, it didn't meet the needs that they, they thought they were going to get out of it? Right. Well, what about, you mentioned Paramount, with Viacom and CBS. How do you see that one playing out? It's interesting. So if you look at all of the, what we would call the free radicals, it's Viacom, um, CBS, Discovery, MGM, Lionsgate. There's a lot of these companies that you could, in theory, piece together to get the same kind of scale that you would have, you know, with Disney, Fox. It's expensive and it's it's going to take a long time. Um, and there's a lot of social issues associated. But you could you could, in theory, piece all of these companies together. It makes, Paging John Malone. I mean, a, wouldn't he be the guy? He a, he could be the guy. Although he is he is. I know he said this at his analyst days. He's not interested in doing that. Okay. From a, from a, there's a tax there's tax consequences to doing that, but I don't think he wants to to do that. It's a lot of work. So who else steps up and does that? Is it is it Cherry? Is she an empire builder? Is it David Zasoff? Who does he want to, to, to do that? The the opportunity is there. Um, let's see if anyone it seizes on that. If you were to counsel Sherry Redstone about what move she needs to make next, what would you say? <laughs> it depends on whether or not she's an empire builder or a seller. She definitely needs scale, and I think putting CBS and Viacom together makes a lot of sense. Um, and so I think that that's the first step that I would do if I were her. And then she's got to decide whether or not she wants to now do the work to try to add additional media properties. Or if she's going to let someone else do it, then she should sell it. This is the right time to do that. So one last question. We're only a month or two into 2019. How do you feel about what the next 10 months could bring. Do you think we're going to see more transformative deals? As you look again at that broader economic climate, maybe it's just not conducive to the kind of, say, M&A a lot of people are expecting. Um, I think you're going to get M&A, in, and CBS Viacom is clearly the one that everyone's going to focus on. I don't think it's going to happen as soon as people think. Um, I think you have a lot of these issues that they need to work through. And so maybe if it, if it even gets announced, maybe it's later on this year. Um, and then I think everyone else is waiting for the, that deal to happen and to see what Discovery does. So I, 
for those who expect to see M&A happen quickly and often, I think they're going to be disappointed. It'll happen, but it's probably going to be the next couple of years. And yet this is all happening against the backdrop of Netflix having built this seemingly insurmountable lead for the past five or six years. And that's why I find the notion of these things not happening quickly, whether it's consolidation, whether it's the launch of these services, mm-hmm. as somewhat maddening. Does it strike you the same? It, initially, I would say yes. But I think you've got to take a step back. The ecosystem isn't falling apart as quickly as everyone seems to think. The stocks seem to be holding up generally well. well, well, well. Forget, forget valuations. I'm literally just talking about operating metrics. Okay. So if you look at advertising trends or affiliate fee or cord cutting, for example, none of those are, are really accelerating. So cord cutting is running at about 3%. For cable, it's manageable. And so I think – I, I think this is a, a, a transition rather than a rush to extinction for the industry. And so I don't think, I don't think you have to do something today. I think you can, you can be more measured in your approach, especially for a lot of these smaller guys. I think they can wait. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that Disney decided to do it today. Good for them. But I don't think you necessarily have to do something today, especially if you're some of the smaller companies. Got it. Well, Naveen, thank you for coming in and sharing your perspectives on giving us a, a broad look at what is always an entertaining sector. Thank you very much for having me. This has been another episode of Strictly Business. Tune in next week for another helping of scintillating conversation with media movers and shakers. And please make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear future episodes. Also, leave a review in Apple Podcasts. Let us know how we're doing. 